Welcome to the Business of Psychology podcast, the show that helps you to reach more people, help more people, and build the life you want to live by doing more than therapy. Today, I'm interviewing Tim Lewis. Tim's had a very varied background, starting in IT before journeying into writing fiction, publishing that fiction, and helping others to do the same. His company, Stone & Press, now focuses on self-publishing, conference reviews, podcasting, and networking. And his latest book, Social Media Networking, is all about how to use social media to get your ideal job, find love, and travel more. Wow. Tim, welcome to the podcast. There's so much I know that listeners will want to ask you about. How about we start with your own self-publishing journey? So I know that until 2009, you were working in IT, but were you always a writer at heart? Um, The simple answer is no. (laughs) I suppose I was supposed to say, like, I've always had these great dreams of becoming a I had tried to write a novel several times, even when I was in the nefarious world of financial IT, but I never ever managed to finish a book off. So I do like 20 or 30 pages and then I kind of get lost. So I suppose you could say I've always tried to write science fiction or fantasy or so I've always had an interest in fiction and writing in general, even before like what happened in my life. But my say my wife was uh, my wife had a stroke in two thousand nine, and sadly she passed away in two thousand and eleven. And that kind of well, that changed my mindset on the world, and it also um, also gave me the financial means to not have to worry so much about having to do the IT job and have to do the work. So in two thousand and fourteen, I decided uh, to give up my job. I originally was going to do IT con- contracting work. I would like to say I gave up my job to pursue a career in writing, but that wasn't actually the initial intention at all. My initial intention was to do like IT and other sort of contract work and be a bit more flexible in my lifestyle. But in my notice period, I read this book called Write, Publish, Repeat, uh, which was by these three guys who basically run like almost a self-publishing factory of book creation in all sorts of genres. Um, and and they they specified how they wrote their books. Um, and following their approach, I managed to write three time travel novellas in 2014. So, and the first one of them got to number ten in the UK time travel charts, which was wow. like really good. Um, it's by far the most successful book I've ever had, and it's probably the most poorly written one I've wrote. So <laughs> if that like tells you anything about life, then uh, <laughs> that's, a, that's a suggestion. Um, since then, uh, I've written three fantasy novels, which were like much more longer actual print books. Um, the original books were available as a compendium in one print book. But the fantasy novels, I wrote one one novel each year, uh, and as we were discussing in the pre-chat, I wrote, actually wrote the words for them in an event called NaNoWriMo, or National Novel Writing Month, in November each year. And then all the editing and publishing process I did in the rest of the year. Now, the last book I wrote, Social Media Networking, was quite a different, because it it's a non-fiction book. It's about how to use social media to make connections and to get ahead. And That was an interview-based book. So it had interviews. I, I did, based, I recorded like interviews with twenty people. Well, it was actually over twenty people, but only twenty ended up in the book. 
about how they'd use social media to get ahead in their career or get speaking gigs or find romance or do all sorts of things with social media as a connection mechanism. So that book was largely structured on the inter- on me taking the interviews and editing them like to make some sort of sense out of them and make them make sense in a in a book form. And also a preamble and a and a conclusion that I added explaining a little bit about basically how to use social media and also what I'd learned from the interviews. So that is kind of my self-publishing journey. Mm-hmm. Uh, along the line, I've also done like 155 podcast episodes interviewing people about self-publishing um, and done various courses. And I've consulted with people and I've helped various people self-publish their books. So that's kind of where I'm coming from in the great world of self-publishing and writing and the, and the rest. Wow. So it sounds like quite a journey. Yeah. Taking you from a really dark point in your life yeah, and starting out as maybe a creative outlet, but then traversing into nonfiction later. Does it feel very different writing fiction to nonfiction? Um, yes, no. I mean, fiction... I mean, I've heard people say that nonfiction is easier to write than fiction. I would say for me, in some ways, it's almost the other way around. Um, it takes me a lot, lot longer to come up with the ideas for fiction than it does for nonfiction. I mean, something from a personal point of view, and I know there are very successful authors who do not do this, like Stephen King does not do this. But I, I mean, they have this whole divide between what they call pantsers, people who write on the seat, seat of their pants, they just write and planners and plotters, uh, and I'm on the planning plotting side. I even For fiction especially, you need a plan. Um, I think whatever you write, you are going to need a structure for the, what the book is about in your head, at the very least. Because um, I say, for the non-fiction book I wrote, the structure was almost evident in as much as I didn't need to plan it out anything i had these interviews and then i just needed to move them around to make them into coherent topics and then edit them and then they were like a chapter each and then at the beginning and the end it's like the lessons learned like the, the beginning is an introduction to social media so for that non-fiction book the structure made sense um for fiction the plan is much more useful in terms of a guideline as to where you're going to go with the book. Now, depending on the kind of nonfiction you write, I mean, even in a psycho, uh, say a psychology book, if it's a very narrative-based book where you're going through telling stories about, say, patients, then the planning element may make sense from almost like the fiction point of view. So the reason why for fiction I think planning makes a big difference is that let's say you start writing, uh, say like a sci-fi novel or something, uh, and then you get right to the end of the book and then you're like, well, I really wish that I'd replace those aliens with robots. Now, if you planned that all out and then you had like wrote a sentence for each chapter and you, you just, it's just a case of cutting and pasting aliens for robots, but if you've written like 70,000 words, then that is a much bigger effort to change this fundamental sort of plot thing. So the whole reason for writing 
a plan or a, like even as a guide to your book first is that you get those fundamental changes out of the way mm. before you actually get the books done. I also think from a psychological perspective, the idea of sitting down to write with just a blank Word document, like mm. blinking in front of me, that's just terrifying. Yeah. Whereas if, if you've kind of done the thinking, you know where your chapter's going to go, it seems much easier for me to sit down and write that chapter. And I think, you know, the point you've just made, it stands for a nonfiction just as, just as well, yeah. doesn't it? If, if, for example, I was writing um, about you know, anger management strategies yeah. for parents, for example, it may be that a new piece of evidence crops up, which means that I need to then go back and update all my references through the book. And if I had a guide that I'd written of what was in every chapter, it'd be yeah. very easy to go back and see where that reference needed to be added in. Whereas I suppose that would be pretty impossible if you'd been flying by the seat of your pants. Yeah, I mean... There is obviously software. If you went along and you were writing it and you put the little links in there at the time, but again, I mean, who's going to be doing that? Um, the other advantage to having a plan is it helps you write the book quicker. Now, because otherwise what happens is you're like, so you start typing away, blah, 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 blah. And then you'll be like, so what happens next? And then you end up thinking like, okay, uh, uh, and then blah 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 blah. blah. Oh, what happens next? Uh, and uh, this blah, 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 blah. is when writer's block can come in, isn't it? Well, um, exactly. So you, the whole point is you try and get the writer's block when you're doing the plan. Mm. Um, and I mean, it takes me ages to write a book for a plan. I mean, I, I've often like whole year I've gone. Uh, I mean, I tried, last November I tried to write a time travel book that I'd had. I hadn't really finished the plan for, and I just couldn't finish it because I started writing it, and then I was like, large chunks of this book are really boring. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. There just wasn't enough going on in the story. So I basically like put that on hold, and I'm going to go back and go back to the plan, and actually I need to add in extra elements to make it there's – there's, there's something and, – and that should have been done in the planning stage, but because it was like, oh, I wanted to do NaNoWriMo again – in November, I was like, I tried to do it, and it's just, it just doesn't work. You need to have the plan as much. I mean, it doesn't have to be totally complete. I've done, I've worked out, I've finished the plan as I've been going along, but it has to be like as good as possible. You want the blocks to be when you're pla in the planning so that you can get the book written as quickly as possible. Okay, so but, let's dive into yeah. the process of actually getting this thing done then. Yeah. Um, so it sounds like, the first stage would be the planning stage yes. or is there something that you would do before that? Well, it depends on the book. I mean, I can't say for like a psychology book cause I've never written it. There is a lot of stuff that you need to consider in terms of references and often legalities with like books. Now, obviously for most writers, that stuff's going to be like fairly straightforward. Um, but yeah, I mean, also, the, the, I suppose the first question is, why are you writing the book? Why do you want to write a book? What is the purpose? Are you looking to make money from it? Are you looking for prestige? Uh, do you just want to write a book? Are you trying to change the world? Uh, are you trying to, I don't know, 
do some other reason. I mean, sometimes it's like it's just a hobby interest. Depending on those, that can change your whole approach to the book. Now, particularly if you want to make it as a money-making exercise or as a business lead, um, then you really need to be considering marketing and other things right at the beginning of the book. Uh, Can I just ask? uh, Yeah. So when you say a business lead, what does that mean? So, okay, like, um, let's say, well, you know the idea of a lead magnet. Uh, I I do, but I suspect that some of my listeners won't. So if you don't mind clarifying that, that would be great. So it, it sounds very demeaning of human beings to call them leads, but like, let's say I've got a £10,000 self-publishing course that I sell to people and then they do the book and they come out and they come out with a gold, gold-plated gold book. <laughs> I, uh, the way that usually a sales or a marketing approach or a business approach works is that you are looking for people who might be interested in your product and then you try and sell them to them. Now, it's funny, actually, because I didn't come from a marketing or a sales background. So to me, this is all a bit arbitrary and weird. But traditionally, what happens is that marketing people are looking for, for finding those interested people to bring them in. And then the salespeople sell to those people who are called leads. Um, so it's kind of like, I may have heard that you're interested in writing a book. So you are a lead for me. So the whole idea of a lead magnet is it's a way of bringing in people who are, to get them in contact with you, who are interested in your product. Uh, so, okay. so a book or a le- can act as a, like a lead magnet. So let's say you, you're the number one expert in the psychology of giraffes in, in zoos. <laughs> yeah. People may not know that. They may be looking for, like, their, their giraffe in their zoo is having real psychological problems. They may not know that. Um, but if you have written a book, which is How to Treat a Giraffe in a Zoo, uh, well, maybe a better title than that would be ideal, that gives a way for people to say, oh, we found this woman, she's written a book about how to help your that they might buy the book and then think, well, actually, we can't do the techniques in this book. We need to actually hire her as a consultant to come in and sit and cuddle with the giraffe and make sure that it has a good time in the cage or whatever. I see. So it's about finding a big group of people that want yeah. some of your expertise. Um, and then a smaller group of those people will probably want yeah. to pay for your uh, more expensive one-on-one services. Yeah, yeah I mean, that makes loads of sense. For, for non I mean... One thing that people won't tell you about books is, in general, books are not a great business proposition in themselves. So the people who are making money from self-publishing or publishing in general are typically on the fiction side um, who are writing vast series of books. So they are like that. There's a number of people I know who've written like 14 book zombie fiction series or like uh, thrillers like thrillers where they've got the same like same person's like solving a mystery or like well, no it's not a thriller but you know long series of fiction books that's where people and there are people who are churning these books out like two or three a month so it's okay. like romance is the actual classic example romance books like the meals and booth those are the people who are making money fundamentally from books themselves for non-fiction, it tends to be more like 
that book which you're making like two or three pounds from from selling say that is the money people are making from that is from people buying their services their courses their consultancy and the general stature i mean I got quite a few speaking gigs from my book, Social Media Networking. I'm not going to say it's made a fortune for me as a book. I mean, I made reasonable money. It's not terrible. But if I was to say, like, as on its own book sales, was it worth doing the project? No, it wasn't. But if you cater in, like, all of the speaking opportunities and things I've got from that book, yes, it was certainly worth doing as a project. So... For non-fiction especially, and I think this would have, this would be applicable for most of your listeners, having a book makes more sense from a kind of a more a prestige point of view rather mm-hmm. than um, – because, like, you can say you're, you are the person who wrote the book in this particular topic. I mean, that, that is an English expression that people you, – you wrote the book on it. So mm-hmm. if you wrote a book about uh, podcasting for psychologists, I'm not sure there would be any other books out there. So it's on the to-do are, list. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the thing. I mean, it is a way to stump your foot in the ground and then you become like the expert on it. And be, and nobody's going to have a problem with booking you as a speaker to speak uh, like psychology conference about podcasting because you wrote the book on it. You're the person who wrote the book on that topic. So mm. that is how people are using books to make money and make income rather than necessarily expecting it to be number one bestseller in the whole UK because there just aren't that many people who are interested in psychology for podcasting or podcasting for psychologists even. I think that's a really important point to make actually Um, and I also think in a way for us as psychologists although we've all got a certain level of qualification there's massive differences in the way that we work you know somebody who will get a lot out of therapy with me might not get so much out of therapy with my best mate and vice versa because we've got different approaches we see the world in a different way and what I quite like about communicating in the written word is I feel like I can express that to people they can they can tell you know for example I don't use diagnostic labels you can tell that within a paragraph of my blog um so any book I wrote would be from that stance and I think there's a lot in in our kind of work there's sadly there's a lot of need for us there's a lot of work to go around yeah but what I feel quite passionate about is getting the right people the people who will benefit the most from the work that I can do with them um, and I do think a, a book is almost like a business card that says more about you sometimes. Yeah, yeah well, as I say, there is that. Right? The, the, the book is a business card approach. Um, and it doesn't matter if you sell two copies. You still have that book to say, I am the person who does this, or I've mm. done that, or done this. I mean, uh, I think one of the questions um, you put in uh, like a long email you sent me when you were introducing me to the, the show <laughs> was about the difference between tradition, being traditionally published and self-publishing. Yeah. So when would you make that decision? So you've decided your purpose. Is yeah. the next step to decide whether you self-publish or traditionally publish? Well, again, it depends what you're trying to achieve. Um, I mean, there is more credibility... If you're purely like a being like, it's all about being an expertise in the business card side of things, then if you're published by a large publishing house like Penguin or Riley or somebody like that, 
there's certainly more credibility in that. I mean, the way you would you would approach somebody like that is you would make a pitch to to uh, either an agent or to the company themselves. You'd need to like uh, make the particular. But from a monetary point of view, um, often it's better for, to self publish. Mm. Um, it's kind of like a risk reward uh, decision, though. So the biggest single difference well there were two maybe three big differences between self-publishing and traditional publishing so i'm touching my face all the time i should get out of doing that because i'll uh, probably kill half the local neighborhood by touching my face anyway. it's all right nobody can see <laughs> <laughs> we have a video feed on here audio listeners so it's kind of <laughs> like we could be making hand signals to each other and now you've got this this mental vision of what happens with the video side of these things that you're never <laughs> um, anyway i was talking about the differences so the the biggest fundamental difference between a proper traditional publisher and doing the production as self-publishing exercise, and there are a whole range of murky things in between the two, is if you self-publish the book, you are paying all the upfront costs of the book. Mm. Um, I mean, the time cost of writing the book is up to you, whatever, however you do it. But things like cover design, editing, um, marketing costs, advertising, uh, a lot of that, you will have to take up front as part of your self-publishing project. So in effect, you are taking the risk. So you are pay, you are making an investment in this book and your return comes from all of the return that comes as a process of that book. Now, the advantage in terms of self-publishing is that you get much, much bigger share of the revenue from that book after it is published. So for ebooks, typically a self-publisher will get 70% of the revenue of an ebook, up to $9.99. Um, if you're traditionally published, you're talking about 20% range you would get. Now, traditionally published authors usually get an advance on that money, but that is an advance on future uh, book revenue. And a lot of an awful lot of authors never ever get any above the advance. Uh, from a traditional publisher and people think those advanced figures are huge but most from what I've heard anecdotally most of them for new authors are like you wouldn't get more than five thousand pounds say for an advance for a book so if you think your book is actually going to sell a lot of copies then there is an argument to say that self-publishing is the way to go because you will get much bigger revenue from the uh, from the book than if you uh, traditionally publish so out of interest as a total ignoramus on this yeah. subject so you said that if you published an ebook and you self-published it you yeah. still only get 70 percent. where's the other 30 going the other 30 percent goes to amazon um, ah, of course well i mean if you pay if you put it on your own website then you can obviously get 100 percent, but there's a big caveat if you're in the EU or sell to people in the EU, then there's a whole complication of VAT places apply digital sales rules, mm. which nobody ever tells you about when you listen to all these nice um, sort of online business podcast things because most people in the US ignore it. 
But strictly speaking, you are supposed to apply VAT on sales of an ebook based on where the person who is downloading your book is based. And is that something that you have to do even if you, um, as a sole trader or your limited company, are below the VAT yeah. threshold, so you're not that registered? Yeah, it's a different scheme. I mean, ah, so you still this, have to do it. Yeah, really I mean, people listening, you need to know that. Yeah, I mean, it's changed. It's not as bad as it was because there's a like, uh, I think there's a limit now of like something like two thousand euros a year or something where you don't have to declare it under. Okay. Uh, so that would probably cover me for. <laughs> well, I don't actually. Sell, I don't actually sell any books direct. Um, there are service. There's a service called PayHit which does it for you, and you get like ninety five percent of the price. But that is one reason why selling through Amazon, Kobo, Apple, etc., for eBooks is actually quite a good idea because they do all of that for you. That's it's really not interesting. Just, it's not just the EU. I mean, South Korea, Norway, um, South Africa. I mean, all of these governments have been, like, decided that they want to tax. Uh, I mean, you can understand because, it, it, in effect, e-books are therefore competing with uh, other non-electronic products. And normally you do it on the place of uh, where the person's actually buying it. But for the, the trouble is it's just so complicated to calculate um, mm. And what a lot of US-based uh, people do is they literally block uh, EU and UK and other people from their website from purchasing the, <laughs> their e-books uh, to get over these regulations. Um, okay, so it basically sounds like you need to work out your purpose. Yeah. And then depending on where you are on the prestige versus profit continuum, yeah. you would then make a decision about self-publishing if, if you want more on the profit side and traditional publishing if you want more on the prestige side yeah i mean there are, there are other factors as well so one obvious thing is that if you self-publish the project you are to- totally in control of the timing and also like the content of your book um if you go with a traditional publisher they often have multiple books lined up and you have to get in the queue. So it could be like 18 months down the line before your book is released, even though you've written the thing, um, because they're doing... And allegedly, a lot of the smaller publishing houses, the marketing they do, they expect you to do most of the marketing anyway for the book. Yeah, I've definitely heard that. I've heard that people expect that, you know, the marketing will be covered for them if they go with a big publisher but actually even the bigger ones marketing is largely left to you yeah i mean and the other simple fact is that a traditional publisher might not want to publish your book um i mean that's another great reason for going with self-publishing um mm. and the final reason for going traditionally published is for bookstore bookstore distribution mm. now it's it's perfectly possible to have your book available for purchase as a self-publisher in a bookstore um, there's a print-on-demand service called Ingram Spark, um, and what that will do is that will make your book available to, to be ordered by bookstores. But the bookstores still need to order your book, and that is where a traditional, a big traditional publisher, will be able to like get their selling team out there and sell your book to particular bookstores. Now, there are caveats to this. 
in as much as I remember um, I go to like Social Media Marketing World, which is the world's biggest social media conference like, every year in San Diego. There's like about 100 speakers who are the best like marketer speakers in the world. Like two years ago, I went to a um, Barnes & Noble store in Boston and I did a survey of like how many books from the speakers from social media marketing world who are like the best marketing speakers in the world are available in this just random Barnes and Noble I found in, in Boston. How many books do you think from the speakers were available in that particular random bookstore out of like 100 odd speakers? Oh, I don't know. 50? Two. Oh my gosh. Okay. Um, I mean, like people, most people will either go zero or they go a big number. I know. <laughs> Psychologists, they, uh, we will always go for the shades of grey response. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the, the simple reason is there is not enough space. There are so many books available, mm. both traditionally published and self-published, that any bookstore is not going to be... Uh, your book is not unlikely to be... I mean, it'll be, it might be at the back of the like store somewhere in a bigger, a bigger bookstore, uh, like spine somewhere in the psychology section. But most likely most bookstores are not going to have it. Mm. So that, I mean, that, that, but that cachet of being in a bookstore means a lot to a lot of people and you can duplicate it as a self publisher, but you have to be the person selling your book to the book chain or the particular store which most self-publishers can't be. I mean, I, I can't be bothered to try and go for bookstore distribution for that very reason. The other reason why bookstore distribution isn't popular with self-publishers is that the margins are terrible for bookstores. So traditionally, um, you have to give up just over half of the revenue from your book sale to the bookstore. Wow. Um, and then the printing costs of the book are out of the other half. <laughs> of of the book revenue so it doesn't take much that, i mean it the way that book uh self-publishers typically sell books is what's called print on demand mm. so this is the papers paperback side of books not ebooks they are different things uh despite the terms being mixed up a lot so for a paperback book um a large chunk of your book costs is the actual print costs so for something like a, a typical sort of 50,000 word book so it's about like 200 pages something like that that's going to cost you like two or three dollars per book to print um, and usually like again Amazon if you stock it on the Amazon site they take about half the revenue <laughs> uh, not including the print cost so you're left with like $2, $2, say, if you sell it for $9 on Amazon in the US. If you then look at a bookstore distribution, it's even narrower the amount of money you're going to get. I mean, it really is very, very thin margin for authors and for, for publishers. So now, traditional publishers, Yeah, traditional publishers make more money because they tend to do big print runs of books. So you can do that as a self-publisher as well. So... If you happen to be at a conference and you're giving away a copy of your book to all 200 delegates, do a print run of 200 books. Don't order print-on-demand copies. Um, I didn't really say what print-on-demand is. I'll, I'll wind back. Like, 
Imagine me winding back the tape to where I was. I didn't really say what print on demand was. So, well, I guess we'll cover that when we get more to the distribution yeah. part of the process. Because I guess we've got, you know, what knowing your purpose, deciding whether you want to yeah. do traditional or self-publishing, and all of this kind of comes under that, doesn't it? Like whether you can be bothered, um, yeah. how how much you care about bookstore distribution. Because it sounds like yeah. that's probably easier if you go traditional. Yeah. Um, and how much you care about profit. So you decided to go down the self-publishing route. Yeah. What swayed you in that direction? Um, partly, I suppose, it's a, it's a character flaw stroke trait that I don't like seeking approval from people. Uh, I don't like the gatekeepers. Um, so that's why things like podcasting, self-publishing, um, social media, in effect, I like the fact that I can be independent and I don't have to ask for approval from people for things. I mean, it's very hard in general to actually live a life where you where you don't have to ask for approval for anything from anybody. But that was kind of why I never even looked, I never even thought about traditional publishing, really. I had in the past thought like, oh, when I've finished this massive book that I've never going to finish doing, I'd approach a publisher. Uh, and I know a lot of people still think that, especially in the UK. Um, a lot of people don't even think of self-publishing as an option. And actually, for many people, it's a way better option than traditional publishing. Yeah, well, it reminds me of something that um, our mutual friend and my business coach, um, Janet Murray, um, said on her podcast uh, a few years ago now that almost liberated me a little bit because she yeah. said, don't ask for permission. You don't have to wait yeah. for permission. And I'd been like sitting on all these ideas and it was that evening I was I started my blog. I was like, I'm just going to put these ideas out there and see if people like them or not. Because before I'd been submitting stuff to the press and I was like, oh, you know, nobody's interested. That turned out not to be true. My blog's had a lot of readers who have been very interested. Yeah, It's just somebody else wasn't going to make that decision. Because often, and a lot of um, the listeners will also be in this position, we might be saying stuff that doesn't fit with the traditional discourse of mental health. Often we're talking outside of diagnostic labels. We're talking about ways of doing things that are actually quite challenging. And some publishers absolutely are up for that and others won't be. But if you've got something to say, I love the fact that self-publishing gives you a way of getting that out there without somebody else needing to go, yes, it's okay for you to say that now. Yeah, well, I mean, traditionally over the... I think it was like Charles Dickens self-published a lot of his stuff. There's a lot of actual historical examples of people self-publishing things, mainly because the publishers at the time weren't, like... The way that, like, uh, lots of companies... And it's not just publishing companies who do this. Everybody says they're looking for the next big, new, exciting trend. But most of the time... People aren't looking for that. They're looking for something safe. So they're looking to make Marvel superhero <laughs> film 75 um, not the latest new thing where they have to take a risk. Mm. Um, and, I mean, you could argue about the current circumstances, like society's attitude towards risk is very skewed in general. So do we... Well, uh, this will be a bit topical, so you can cut this out if you like. But let's say, like, at the moment, we are we are battling how much is 
the, the lifespan of a few individuals in society worth versus the quality of life of the rest of society? And how much are those risks balanced out? So I, I generally think that in, in general, most of society has too much of a fear of risk. Mm. Um, and most traditional big companies, I mean, it's kind of like, no, well, it's like the old maxim in IT that nobody got sacked for buying IBM. Um, it's like just doing like the boring riskless option you never that is the safe option Uh, and that is what a lot of corporate and big companies rely on so I think for smaller individuals we are the little like um, the little animals running around when the dinosaurs are like waving looking at the comet I mean (laughs) that's the thing that is the way the new economy is is going now we could all get wiped out by the big comet as well but at least we've we've got more we're more nimbly running around and taking bigger risks. Mm, that's a very interesting point. So assuming that people decide to go down the self-publishing route, yeah. is this when you start creating your plan? Yes. Um, now, how you do it uh, is kind of up to you, uh, and also depends a lot on the book. Um. I typically use a package called Scrivener, um, which is a kind of a writing tool. Um, you can use that to the nth degree to like plan out character names and uh, put blog links to blog posts and research and everything. Mainly, I just use the synopsis feature for the chapters and I write like a couple of sentences to say what that chapter is going to be about. And then I can write the actual whole chapter out when I get to actually writing it. But I've always got that guide as to what that chapter should be about. Now, you don't even need to buy something like Scrivener. I think it's about $30 or something, so it's not an expensive package. You could just use any kind of software package and literally just save a file for each chapter with a couple of sentences somewhere. I mean, you could use Word. You can use Google Docs. Um almost start with having your your chapters as separate files um, and then just write a few sentences for what that chapter is going to be about and then put them in a folder in your thing. So a plan is it's really just thinking of what the structure of your book is going to be about. So let's say you were writing, I mean, what kind of topics would you write a book about yourself? So I think one that I've been wanting to write for a while is about how to manage anger as a parent, Mm. um, especially a parent of toddlers. (laughs) So what you need to be thinking of is like, this sounds a bit up up myself, but you're looking for the journey that the person who is reading your book is going to go through. What, What experience do you want them to do? And that will affect the structure of your book. So you could start off with like a couple of chapters about the like examples of where it's gone wrong mm. with people, and then like example more chapters about how you fix it, and then lessons. Or you could you could structure it in all sorts of ways, but you really do need to understand how you want to structure your book and be happy with it before you start writing it, because you could start rushing into writing like something, and then it's like, oh, wouldn't it be nice if? And okay, you can move chapters around and you can do things, but I think getting the structure in your mind, if nowhere else, right first, 
Um, that makes a big difference when you write the book. And, they, and uh, uh, the, good, the main reason I suggest people write, actually write the book as fast as possible once they have the plan done is that it makes so much difference in terms of the joins. So let's say you write 200 words a day um, and you stop writing for two months. Then you go back to it. I mean, that's going to be, you're going to have to go back and reread everything you've done. It's not really going to make an awful lot of sense. That's such a good point because, um, you know, a bit like yourself, I've started yeah. several fiction projects yeah. before. I don't think I ever got the planning right. So yeah. it always took me too long. Um, and I did exactly that. I got to a point where I'd taken a break went back into it and just thought, yeah. oh my God, I can't face the thought of reading 20,000 of my own words. And that's where they died. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that sounds so valuable yeah. to I mean, that's, get the momentum. That's, yeah. It's one of the lessons I learned from that book, Write, Publish, Repeat, in that what they do is they don't go back and read or edit anything in that first draft at all. So you've got your plan, you finish your plan off, and then you try and get as much time as possible in, in one block and you write to the plan and you write the book and the ideal is to get the book finished as soon as possible because there's just something magical about having a finished book even if it's unedited half of it doesn't make sense it's got things but having a finished book to go back and edit is like so much better than having like this two-thirds or half or and you're not really sure how you're going to finish it and just having this big blob of 70,000 words where you've got mistakes and you've got like, but it follows the plan. <laughs> that is so much easier to work with than having some sort of weird thing that you've got to go back to. So yeah, mm. get the plan, do all the, all the procrastinating and all the other stuff <laughs> in the plan, because it's a lot easier to come back to a plan than it is to come back to a, to a book mm. and the actual 70,000, 200,000, 20,000, whatever. Uh, I wouldn't write a 200,000 word psychology book because I'm not sure anybody would read that. Yeah, ouch. Um, but yeah, so that, that's my experience. Yeah, you spend your time and your procrastination and all your other things, getting the structure of the book ready in your mind and in, on paper, ideally. And you can go to whatever level of planning you want to. Um, I mean, it's like with fiction, people would, write backstories of all the characters and they can, they, people could do all sorts of stuff. You could have like, if you're writing a fantasy book, you have a little, I had little, did a little map of my fantasy world. Um, and uh, I, I'm not quite sure what the equivalent level of excessive detail would be in a psychology uh, book, but yeah. Oh, it would be research. It would be yeah. all the research. Actually, yeah. this is what intimidates me from starting the book that I want to write is I know that I would not include a reference that I hadn't read in its entirety. Uh, and, oh, wow, that would be a lot. <laughs> so it's, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's the research side of it, I think, for us. Um, but I'm sure there's an awful lot of psychologists um, and therapists who have got a fiction project in them as well. Yeah. So I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of people listening to this are also thinking about a, a novel or similar. So yeah. it's really valuable to share your experiences on that. So thank you. So I'm, I'm thinking about the current situation. For anyone that's listening in the future, at the moment when we record this, we're in the middle of the coronavirus. Lots of people are self-isolating. And I'm kind of thinking, anyone listening that doesn't have kids, this is a great project. 
to get you through the kind of isolation period. But I also know that writers tend to struggle a little bit with how isolating that fast writing period where you're just getting thousands of words out every day can be. What's that been like for you? Well, as I say, uh, we're in the pre-chat, exciting. You're finding out all the hidden secrets of this podcast. I'm (laughs) giving them away. Um, Most of the books I wrote actually as part of this big community event, uh, NaNoWriMo. Um, I think actually it depends on your personality. I didn't really realise I was an extrovert until I started to try to work from home. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've had a lot of experience of the whole social isolation thing because it's like a lot of people have put memes up saying, oh, I didn't realise anything had changed. <laughs> I'm more on that side of things. Um, but, yeah, I mean... I think, as I say, I think the planning side, I mean, one thing I would say with anything, book or otherwise, is your the best advice is to start, start with a small project. So learn self-publishing by doing like a 20,000-word ebook. Um, I mean, ebooks can be really, really short. It can be like 5,000 words. You could do like a just an essay or something you've done and just self-publish that. Look to see about getting in because editing, paying for editing of a like five thousand word book. Um, I mean, you could almost get somebody to do that fairly cheaply, actually. It, it just getting used to all of the techniques. It's like building a house, really, in a way. Um, there are various specialists, so you probably want to pay a cover designer. You probably want to pay an editor possibly a proofreader. They're not the same thing, despite what people think they are. Um, And then you need to look at advertising and other things um, beyond, depending on what what your aims are, really. Okay, Um, so let's get into that then. So after the writing phase comes getting anybody to read it, or is there anything in between? No, is the answer. Um, one thing I would say is that uh, coming back to Amazon and these big marketplaces, Amazon for ebooks particularly is almost a marketing machine in itself, especially on nonfiction, um, because there are so many categories in Amazon on the nonfiction side that some of the categories are just ridiculously uncompetitive. Mm. Um, and some of them are more competitive and some of them are even more competitive. So I actually, for my last book, I totally gamed it to be a number one bestseller in a category. <laughs> by so selling stuff that we don't think about. This is gold. <laughs> okay. So how did you do that? <laughs> um, well, I mentioned about uh, a, tri- uh, a trip I made to Wichita in Kansas in the middle of the book. It's like one chapter in the book. Um, and there's a guy I know who, who works for this company called Kalytics, and they do analysis reports on like all of the which categories in Amazon are the most competitive. Uh, and I said, like, are there any ridiculously easy categories that you could put? And he said, oh, well, there's United States travel Kansas as a category. And yeah, by selling one book, I got to number one in that category. Awesome. And does that then 
Is it like an algorithm so it will show that to more well, people? Well, yeah. I mean, I think it showed it from our day. I think it's such a ridiculously noddy category that it's... Um, but typically what people... I mean, that example in itself is is rubbish. But I can say I'm a, I was an Amazon number one bestseller. Admittedly, nobody asked me the category. Uh, and you hear... Because we lot don't of, know this category. <laughs> oh, um, but typically what you would do if you're really giving thought to it on the ebook side is you start off with one because you can have up to like 16 of these categories for where your book's placed on the on the Kindle ebook store. So you have one ridiculously easy category which you could sell books into and then you have one slightly harder category and then one more harder and you basically you go you sell and then you go into this category and that get you into that chart and then hopefully people in that chart will buy your book and, they, and, and and this is what a lot of people do so they use amazon as itself it, it doesn't work as well as it used to but you use amazon itself as a way to get you more sales so i mean psychology is probably something where well, there would be enough people if you got into i don't know if there is a I don't know the actual structure of the charts in psychology, but I guess there were subcharts underneath it. Yeah, I'm um, sure there will be. There'll be self-help, parenting. Yeah, for sure. So, like, let's say you like behavioural psychology was a chart you got into, and then like five people buy your book because they see it's number one in that category, and then eventually you get into like if you get into the top ten of self-help, then that will be a lot, a lot more competitive, mm. um, and you'll get more sales out of that, and that so. Thinking about that kind of stuff can make a difference on the ebook side. Um, again, it's like it's non-fiction, so don't expect to be like become the next Tony Robbins or something, somebody from sales of the book. But that's the sort of thing to consider when you're searching, like what categories to put your book into. And, and similarly, like keywords and what you put in the description, that kind of stuff can make a difference in terms of what people are searching for on the Amazon store. So um, as a tip, I'm trying to remember what it's called. I think it's something like KDP Rocket. Uh, it's Dave Chesson's uh, tool, which I've never got around to actually purchasing and using. But that does like the equivalent of search engine optimization, which for your listeners who don't know what that is, that's on. Uh, if you go into Google, there's a lot, a lot of competition for blogs as to who appears first when you type. So if you type like so behavioral psychology into Google you won't believe the amount of effort that people have put to appear on that top page, on that mm. first page. And it's the same on Amazon. I mean, Amazon has like, if you took behavioral psychology in Amazon, I could bet you the first ranking books have spent a lot of time and effort trying to get up there onto that mm. page. So these are the sort of things to consider when you're like, if you're looking for sales, I mean, for a lot of people, you just, there's no point. You might as well, if you're just looking for the business card or for getting speaking gigs, then actually your strategies are probably going to be different. Um, it may mm. be the case that you just publish your book and then you send off free copies to people who run conferences and events you're interested in. I mean, that's kind of what I did with my book. I gave out loads of free copies at conferences to people. And I got a few speaking events from people who read the book. I didn't pay for the book. I just gave them a free copy. <laughs> Yeah, and I know people who self-publish uh, workbooks that yeah. they then give out to their clients. Yeah. Um, or they might, because uh, I also teach hypnobirthing as a bit of a sideline mm. to my psychology practice. 
and a lot of hypnobirthing instructors will have their own book which their clients don't have to purchase but they can add it as an optional extra that enhances their learning experience so really the ways that you can use a book are endless and I can see how for certain things you'd really want to dive in to optimizing it for Amazon and optimizing it for search engines in general and for other purposes it's not worth that time investment and what I'm really getting sort of running through all of this is you need to know your purpose and only spend your energy on what is going to take you towards that mission Um, because it is so tempting especially if you start doing as I do consuming an awful lot of business and marketing podcasts to think oh well I need to do this oh well I need to do that Um, But actually, sometimes you only need to do a couple of things in order to achieve your objective. And it's better to focus your energy on doing those well. Yeah. Well, I mean, there is an element of um, learning how to do things. Um, I I think most podcasters get more benefit from learning how to do a podcast than they do necessarily from doing the show. Um. And the same with blogging, I think, for a larger say, just knowing how to do everything, just like, oh, getting the plugin set up, setting up a WordPress site, doing that, this and that. That in itself is a useful skill to learn, especially in this age of isolation that we might be entering, <laughs> where we only talk to each other via Skype and uh, Zoom. Um, it's kind of, yeah, I mean, there is a benefit to doing this stuff, but like yeah i mean there's about four or five podcast ideas i'd like to launch there's loads of books i'd like to write there's loads of blogs i'd like to do there's loads of ideas i have about various conferences that probably won't happen in the near future maybe Um, not for a while (laughs) yeah Uh, but yeah you can't do everything um but i think that i think there is an argument for uh having a book or a project of some kind in that area is worth thinking about seriously. Mm. As I would say, I think for most people, you might be best to, they always say this with screenwriting actually, which is something I've dabbled in, but never actually got around to because I have to pitch people for screenwriting. I'm not yet got around to self-publishing a film. Well, I might do at some point. It's getting, it's getting nearer than you think to self-publishing films. Wow. That's exciting. Um, what was I saying? Oh, yeah. Start with a small project. Like, start with something, maybe like a 40-page book. I mean, the smallest um, paperback size that you can self-publish on Amazon is 24 pages. That's small. Yeah. I mean, one, one tip is, though, don't do colour. Because colour is like ridiculously expensive for print on demand. I looked at my 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 book, Social Media Networking. It's got like pictures of all of the interviewees in it. Mm. Uh, and originally, I looked at doing that as a colour one. It it costs like nine dollars a copy to do a colour print on demand one, as opposed to two dollars for black and white. Wow! <laughs> but so, you can still have a a cover in colour. Well, I mean, this is like this is so. I just did black and white photos, um, but yeah, I mean, there's all sorts of things you can do. But like, maybe start off with just doing a small short book, uh, mm. do an ebook, uh, do that as a project. But as I was saying, I, I got uh, my. You can see my mind. Uh, there's probably psychologists looking, thinking my mind is like that big, um, 
that meme with all of the things on the wall where they have like, I see the conspiracy now. Um, yeah, what was that? I've lost my train of thought. I was going to it's say something. It's a creative web. You've, yeah. you've weaved the creative web and now we've got to unpick it. Um, but I think what I was wondering is, so we've got to the point where, you know, we know what we're doing our book for. We've got the purpose, yeah. we've got the mission. We've decided we want to go down the self-publishing route to best achieve yeah. that. So we've been through the planning phase, the writing phase. Now we've taken the book to market. And one way of doing that is through Amazon. Yeah. And we've talked about optimizing for that. We've also talked about potentially trying to get it into a bookstore and how that may or may not be worth the effort, depending on your objective. Yeah. And, and I think a little bit what your heart says. I imagine yeah. a lot of people do that, even though they know it's not going to make money, just so yeah. they can take their kids and be like, look, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, I can feel myself wanting to do that already. Yeah. Um, so is there anything that we need to consider beyond that? I suppose one of the things I was wondering about is where along the way, you might need to outsource or that you would recommend getting someone in to help you? Um, well, so the two big things are cover design um, because there is a skill to book cover design. Um, I mean, design a normal designer can do a job for you. Uh, you can do a job for you. Um, but typically... It's usually, they usually look terrible, self-designed, or even a design, just like some design, random designer person may not have experience of book cover design because mm. certainly for paperback, because there's all sorts of weird things about the spine width. Um, mm. So like, I mean, they, they give you, it's just a spreadsheet of like the number of pages design and then you need like bleed on the edges of it. But somebody who knows how to do book cover design is worth hiring. Uh, and it doesn't necessarily need to be that expensive either because what a lot of the higher-end ones do is they do what are called pre-formatted covers. So they would just create a whole page on their website of book designs that they created on spec with, like, insert your title here. Um, so if your book – I mean, like, my last book has, like, um, a chess piece as the uh, – as the main part of the book cover. That was a pre-designed book cover. That wasn't one I asked for. It was just like, yeah, that 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 is abstract enough for the, <laughs> the thing about social media because I didn't want to use social media logos because then there's a whole issue with trademarks and the rest of it. Mm. Um, I mean, this is something to be aware of. With, certainly with some of these like 99 designs and a lot of these book, uh, these sort of crowdfunding Things. Sometimes you get designers who are a bit, um, say, casual about copyright and trademark things. So I, I use uh, 99 Designs once, and they have like a – the way that those services work is they have a whole load of designers compete, uh, and they, they provide options. But they do not take liability for the designers ripping off other people's like, – so one of them just ripped it off from a film – cover and it was only one of the other designers who told me and I'm like oh yeah <laughs> that's basically ripped off from a film cover oh I see so it's very important to do your due diligence yeah. and make I mean, sure somebody yeah, trustworthy I mean, is doing that any Im Im images you need to be very in general on the internet don't just take an image off google image search because there are actually people who 
deliberately say like try to rate number one for pineapple and then you get an innocent blogger or self-publisher who goes types pineapple oh i'll grab that and i'll use that on my book cover or use that on my blog they will go after you and sue you for using their image god that's um, a scary world i know and uh so yeah i mean there are various free sites like pexels.com where they have like people basically put up their thing for commercial use or shuttle stock. There's loads of sites that actually do images. But if you work with a, a decent book cover designer who actually knows what they're doing, they will tell you where they've got the book, the actual images from. And yeah. you might, depend if you do your own graphics based on that book, uh, you may have to purchase those same images yourself. Mm. So it, these are the sort of things, because the trouble is like 99% of online business people and authors their book won't, or their book or their website won't sell enough or do enough to ever be an issue with it. But you don't want your your book to suddenly be a massive hit and then you get sued by somebody for like covering cover image infringement. Yeah, that that would be rubbish. So I'm a big fan of outsourcing, and it sounds yeah. like cover design is definitely one to outsource. Yeah. A couple of things you mentioned earlier were proofreading and editing. Yeah. So I mean, where would you find good people for that kind of work? Um, well, it depends. It depends. It depends. It depends. It depends. If your book is intended to be a long, uh, proper, in quotes, book, I would go for somewhere like the, well, they cha- they're changing their name, but I think they might be put off. It's currently called the Society for Editors and Proofreaders in the UK. Um, there's actually somebody called Louise Harmbury, who's an editor who blogs a lot. Um, she's got a list on her website of like all of the international kind of editing and proofreading uh, societies around the world. Uh, if you send me an email afterwards, I can give it to you. I can send you a link to her site with like the list of so like who That'd the be brilliant. Who, yeah who the people are in Australia and certainly her, there's lots of good uh, there's a lot more good blogging and stuff by editors now. Mm. Um, so one thing to bear in mind, um, is the more specific your editor can be about your sort of book. So somebody who is a nonfiction editor would know a lot more how to edit a psychology book than somebody who usually edits fiction books. Mm, You've got to be quite specific. Yeah. I mean, (sighs) That said, it depends on the book. I mean, if your book is just a store, set of stories with clients uh, and it's not really particularly scholarly and you're not really referencing anything, then maybe just some sort of editing service somewhere or somebody from the Philippines or something like that may work okay. The difference between editing and proofreading is editing is more like a QA function, so like quality assurance. Um and it and it's almost like somebody reading through your book saying you tend to use this expression a lot. You tend to say, well, because of, or or they're actually saying, well, why don't you move this bit here to make it more relevant? Well, a proofreader is all about things like grammar and uh, grammatical mistakes and spelling mistakes. And traditionally, actually on proof, the reason they're called proofreaders is that for printing, where the words are on the page matters. That's the proofing. 
So let's say you, uh, you create a paperback version of your book. What you don't want is like you have a full, full, of, full page of text and then one word on its own on the last page of the chapter. Yeah, that'd be rubbish. That is the sort of thing that a proofreader would know. They literally create the proof of the book from a, from a historical point of view. Now, for, for e-readers, uh, for e-books, that isn't relevant because e-books are not proofed in the same way. Uh, e-books are reflowable. Um, but for a traditional proof book, so that's why they're called proofreaders, because they read the proof. Um, mm-hmm. But it's not just spelling mistakes. It's about the whole structure of how everything... Now, there's lots of software that you can use that just does this stuff for you. Like, I use a package called Vellum. Uh, it's about... It's only on a Mac, which is annoying because I'm a PC person. But I've got a virtual Mac I connect to. Um, and you can do that for formatting the books. Uh, you have to look, look out for these orphans and other things yourself. Uh, so I use that for proofing rather than hiring a proofreader. But I do use editing services as well. So it's mm, very that's much... That's really interesting. Yeah. I will link, I'll, I'll link to all these things in the show yeah. notes um, so that people can find them and check them out. Because even as you're talking, it kind of makes the whole project seem a lot less intimidating, knowing yeah. that there are professionals that do the bits yeah. that, to be honest, make me sweat thinking about, um, or even that the software that, that makes it a bit yeah. easier. I mean, there the thing is, like your book, um, and in fact, a lot of self-publishers' books are often better quality than a lot of traditionally published ones because they are doing it as a passion project. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're bothered more bothered about quality than making money. Traditional publishers, however, they want to like dress it up, are they in there to make money because that's their their limited companies. So they're not necessarily going to go for the most expensive cover designer ever known to mankind. They're not necessarily going to use the most expensive editors. Uh, And many of the editors and cover designers that traditional publishers use are available for self-publishers to use on a contract basis. Mm -hmm. So it's like a website called readsy.com, and they're like a marketplace for uh editors cover designers marketers for books pr people all sorts of stuff and most of their staff are people who work who either have worked or still work for traditional publishing companies and even traditional publishers sometimes use their services to buy like staff so um yeah it's not a case that you'll get a lower product um as a self-publisher it's just you have to be mindful you've got to pay up front for all of this stuff um, yeah unless you crowdfund it or you use some other way of course actually that's a really interesting idea uh, you could crowdfund for a, yeah. a writing project um yeah i think one of the things that we'll probably end up talking about in the workshops that we're doing yeah. the do modern therapy membership is costing this stuff out and yeah. how much you can expect to to pay but i'm aware we've taken up a lot of your time already so we'll save <laughs> yeah. that stuff the, yeah we're, we're, we're giving away the free, we're giving away the expensive stuff here yeah because uh... i think that's kind of the nitty-gritty that yeah. um people who are really ready to embark on on their projects will really want to get into so if you do want a chance to kickstart your writing project and go deeper on all this stuff with Tim on how to get your book out of your head and into the world, you can still book a space on the Do Modern Therapy membership self-publishing workshop. 
Uh, those who joined during the crowdfunder get the workshop included. But if you miss the crowdfunder closing, you can still book for a two hour workshop with Tim, which is happening at the end of April. You just follow the link in the show notes or go to drrosie.co.uk to sign up. So I have got a selfish question for you, Tim, before we close. I just wanted to ask, you know, if there's a psychologist or a therapist listening to this, maybe like me, who has a burning writing project inside of them, but they're not sure where to get started, what two steps would you recommend they take today to get their project off the ground? Um, hmm. The two things I would say that they do is work out why you're writing the book and write that down somewhere. Why you want to write a book. Um, because that makes a big difference to everything. Like, as I say, is it, is it credibility? Do mm-hmm. you want to be a subject matter expert in something? Are you looking to make loads of money? Uh, if that's the case, then probably. <laughs> Are you looking for like a lead magnet so that this book is going to bring you in a load of new clients because you've become an expert? So that's one thing. Uh, and then the other thing is to start thinking of the structure and start writing a plan, basically, for the book. Okay. Those are the two things to start with. Um, and, and even if that's just a mental exercise, but I think it helps if you write it down somehow. Uh, and that's what I would suggest people do to, in the first instance. Okay, brilliant. I actually feel excited to start that now. So thank you so much for sharing all that value with us, Tim. I'm sure people are going to want to connect with you after this. So where's the best place for them to find you? Um, well, I'm going to be in my house for the next couple of months. No. <laughs> uh, I'm Stone and Press on Twitter, which is the name of my publishing company. Um, I'm uh, Tim Lewis on Facebook. Well, that's almost impossible to find. I think I might be Tim Lewis eight oh eight in my. Uh, I'm uh, Timothy Lewis on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm Stone and Press on Instagram as well. That's another good place to get hold of me. Um, and StoneandPress.com. Um, if you want to look at my books or book uh, consulting time with me, it's another option. Uh, and I'm also, I did, did like 150 episodes of the Begin Self-Publishing podcast, which is beginselfpublishing.com. It's a little bit in hiatus at the moment, though uh, it may make a comeback, given that we're all isolated and I'll probably end up recording some episodes just because I'm kind of running out of things to do. Um, I definitely that, recommend that, by the way, if anybody's yeah. listening. I've been back and listened to a couple, and they're really, really useful. If you're just trying to get started or you're a bit stuck, they're really pragmatic and useful episodes. Yeah. I mean, there's been three formats of the show. Originally, I started off as just a guide to it. Then I started interviewing people. Then I started interviewing people as they were going through their book publishing journey. So there's kind of whatever format you like, there is some point along the journey where you can go. And all of that is available at beginselfpublishing.com. It's on iTunes, well, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, probably all exactly the same places this podcast is available. Well, no, that's absolutely brilliant. I won't take up any more of your time. But of course, we are going to see you again for the workshop in April. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Business of Psychology podcast. If you share my passion for doing more than therapy, then make sure you come over and join my free Do More Than Therapy Facebook community, where you can work on getting your big ideas off the ground with like-minded psychologists and therapists. 
I'd also love it if you could leave this show a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcasts. It will help more of the people who need it to find it. See you next week for more tips and inspirational stories to help you do more than therapy.